Amen. Amen. Buana Yesu Asafiwe. We're going to learn this. You're supposed to say Amena. Amena. Buana Yesu Asafiwe. Amen. Thanks for indulging me. Okay. Um, we finished Galatians last Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to begin a new series called The Heart of God in the Gospel of Luke. And so we're going to be studying Luke for a good long while. And uh, I'm not making any promises, but at least a year. Um, so uh, look forward to that. I'm looking forward to it. I've actually never preached the Gospel of Luke, which I thought was surprising when I looked at it. I was like, wow. For some reason, I've never, never preached Luke, so we're going to do it. Um, this morning, I want to take advantage of the gap, and it's also a fifth Sunday, and just because I felt like it, we're going we're gonna to study Psalm 133 this morning, Psalm 133, and so it'll be up on your screen, and it's just three short verses. It says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. That is uh, the reading of God's Word. Let's, let's pause and pray and ask for His blessing on it. Gracious Father, um, we thank You for uh, this simple psalm. We pray that You would help us to understand it. We pray that You would help us to apply it to our lives, that in doing so we would bring You glory. We would grow as a church and as individual Christians. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've probably heard it said that there is no bond stronger than the bond between a mother and a child. And in general, that's, that's probably true. But my life is one example of the fact that that's not always true. And the Bible actually teaches that even family relationships can be difficult. Sometimes they're the most difficult relationships, right? The ones that are supposed to be the most meaningful sometimes disappoint us. And the fact is that according to the Bible, the most important bond that we have is not with our blood relatives. David is not talking about siblings, biological brothers, when he says that brothers dwelling in unity is good and pleasant. He's talking specifically about the community of faith. He's talking about the blessing of a properly functioning community of faith. In his time, it was the nation of Israel. The entire nation was that community of blessing that community of faith. We, of course, today we call it the church. Uh, 
this community, the local church, the global church, this community is good. It is pleasant. It's not good for some. It's, it's good for everyone. But for that to be everyone's experience of the church, for it to, to feel to us like a good and pleasant church community, then what David is saying is that what must first come is unity. There has to be unity. Another way to say this is that unity is sort of the special sauce of the church. You may think that sounds strange, but that's actually what David says. If you, if you read verse 2, and you read that and you think of vegetable oil running down a man's head, then you will complete... Is it back to English again? It sure is. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with that. And, you know, technology, you love it, you hate it. I'm sorry. I don't know how to fix this, but um, did somebody join it again? Yeah. Okay, so I don't think you can join it. Um, so I'm going to try again, and then don't, don't join it yourself. Just watch it on the screen for today, and we'll figure out what's going on. I apologize. But I want, I want y'all to be able to follow along, so... Okay, E-A-U-W-J. Okay, so what's it saying? Oh, U-A. I'm sorry, I said it backwards. E-U-A. There you go. All right, my apologies. Okay, so if you're watching this in Spanish, please do not join with the code today. All right, okay. All right, I think that's what's causing the problems. I thought we had it fixed, but we don't. Okay, so unity is the special sauce of the church. So if you read verse 2 and you think of someone pouring vegetable oil on your head... That is actually not the point of the verse. This was the special anointing oil that the priests used, okay? It was a very special type of oil. It had a very special recipe. So this is like Kentucky Fried Chicken's 11 herbs and spices, okay? This is, this is your grandmother's secret recipe. This is not just, you know, a carton of vegetable oil. Um, there's something very special about it. And if you go back and you read the recipe for the anointing oil of Aaron in Exodus 30, you will notice that the oil was expensive. It had very expensive ingredients. It had to be handled with care. It had to be mixed properly, and it was considered holy to God. In fact, it was only to be used for the specific purpose of anointing the head of the priest. And so if someone tried to make this oil at home and use it for some other purpose, the instructions were that they were to be kicked out of fellowship and 
cut off from the family of God. And so that, what that basically meant was exile into the wilderness, which probably meant death. So why does David choose this oil to illustrate the unity that exists in the church, in the nation of Israel? Because he wants us to know how special and how costly and how serious this is to God. This type of unity is the special sauce that makes the church work. We will not be God's church without it. His blessing will not rest on us without it. Now, in some ways, all of this foreshadows the blood of Jesus, right? Our unity is only possible by the shed blood of Jesus, which covers all of our sins. And of course, there's nothing more costly than the blood of Christ. There's nothing more special than the blood of Christ. There's nothing more serious to God than what Jesus did for His people. Jesus died and rose again so that we might be one, so that we might be united. And in the same way, there's also still a prohibition not to try and fabricate unity without the recipe of God, without the blessing of God, without the, the things that God has said is what makes this work. Now, there's many people in the world that talk about unity, right? Who talk about, you know, you know we've heard calls for people to, to unite and get along, right? Why can't we all just get along? And why can't we set aside our differences and, and come together and work together? And that is absolutely a noble desire. It's absolutely something that we should want and pray for because that desire is a reflection of the image of God in the human heart. There is something inside every human being made in God's image that desires there to be peace and harmony and unity among people. But we also recognize that it just doesn't seem to be working out that well, does it? There's something also naturally bent inside of us that, that, doesn't, that doesn't move us towards real unity. In fact, I think the Bible teaches clearly that God is not going to let us as humans. He's not going to let us achieve unity on our own without Him. In fact, that's exactly the point of the story in Genesis of the Tower of Babel. That's what it was all about, right? God was not going to bless the efforts of the nations to unite outside of Christ. And so all the talk and all the effort and all the stuff that you see where people are you know, urging one another to unite, only God can bless those efforts and it comes through the blessing of His people, the church. Unity is a gift of God specifically to His church. 
It's not something that we can work towards or achieve on our own as human beings. And we actually can't even achieve it by ourselves in the context of the church. The second picture that David gives in Psalm 133, verse 3, is that he says, It's like the dew of Hermon, which is a mountain, falling on Mount Zion, which Mount Zion was another name for the Temple Mount in Jerusalem where the, where the temple was. Mount Hermon um, is still there, and it's, a, it's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. And to this day, it is, uh, you can actually look this up, on, you can Google it, okay? Mount Hermon is home to Israel's only ski resort, now, I find that surprising that there even is a ski resort in Israel, but apparently there is. The only one is located on this mountain, Mount Hermon. It's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. And two, you know, four or 5,000 years ago, David's time, it was probably a snow-capped mountain year-round. I'm not sure if it is today. But there were times, even in the summer when the wind would blow out of the north just right and it would carry some of that snow from Mount Hermon a hundred miles and it would, the mist would fall on the city of Jerusalem from that, from that snow-capped mountain. And that's what David is actually talking about. Okay, So if you've ever been to the zoo or like a theme park like Six Flags in, in July, then you've probably experienced something similar to this, right? So it's a hot summer day and you're walking down the sidewalk and all of a sudden you get hit by this cool mist because up above you there's a fan and it's got, it's got like a water hose behind it and it's blowing a cool mist on people, which is a really refreshing thing on a hot summer day in the south, right? And you'll, usually there's like a group of people standing there right in the mist, right? And, and I'm usually one of those people because it just makes you want to stand there because it's so refreshing. And David is saying that his community of faith was like that to him. It was a special community of relief. It, it was good. It was refreshing. It felt like a blessing. But just like the mist fans at a, at a theme park or at the zoo, that cool breeze is, is a gift. It was something extra. It was something unexpected. It was not something that David could earn. It's not something that we can earn. It's something that we pray for, we hope for, but we can't make it happen, right? So I want you to imagine being outside. It's not hard to imagine because it's been really hot. It's going to be 101 on Thursday, by the way. So I want you to imagine that you're outside in the heat of the summer and you're, you're working the ground. And it's, it's humid and it's hot and you're sweaty and the sun is beating down on you. What might you pray for in that moment? Please, Lord, will you just send a breeze, right? Just give me a little, just give me a little breeze. Just something 
that I can feel that, that will bring relief from the heat, right? That's the kind of gift that the Bible teaches we find in unity. It's something that we really desperately want, that we need, that we pray for, but we cannot manufacture it. And yet we beg God for it. Why? Why is this such a blessing? Why is it such a relief? Because according to David, the unity of the church is where, quote, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. In other words, what he's saying is that without that unity in the body, we will not experience the blessing of God. And there's a tremendous amount of meaning packed into that, that one little verse, okay? So God has commanded or ordained, to use the theological word, right? He has ordained that His blessing will only fall on the community of faith by way or through the means of our unity. That's what the verse is saying. So, even life forevermore, right? So, in other words, we will not experience lasting transformation, renewal, restoration, conversions, growth, any of it, without this blessing of unity. So we should probably pray for that. And it's really not an option, is it? In other words, none of what we do as a church will matter if we are divided. Jesus knew this. John 17, the day before He goes to the cross, Jesus prayed specifically about this. He prayed that the church would experience the gift of God's unity. He said, I ask that they may be one even as we are one. And that's just one little snippet from that prayer. John 17 is actually the longest prayer in the Bible. And the theme of the entire prayer is unity. So with all this in mind, why am I here? What, what am I trying to say to us? So let's talk about Christ's fellowship, okay? One of the adoption vows that we take as, as we join the church, as we become part of this family, is this one. Do you promise to pursue unity and faithfulness? Now, considering what David says about the community of faith and about unity in Psalm 133, I want to ask that question a bit differently of us. Is your vision for this church, is it being informed by the vision that God has for this church? In other words, do we want for Christ's fellowship what God wants for Christ's fellowship? Do you want this 
this church to be a place of unity and faithfulness? Do you want this group of people to be a source of refreshment? Do you want it to be a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a family? Now listen, all of us have a tendency, myself included. We always have a tendency when it comes to most things, but especially the church, to think that something is missing. And this would, this would be better if only fill in the blank, right? This would be better if only they did this type of music. This would be better if only their technology would work some of the time. <laughs> You know, this would be better if they just had better children's stuff or better adult programs or if they did more of this, right? We all have a list of preferences and we, we could easily apply it to any church that we're ever a part of and say, man, this would be great if only if this. And all of us prefer different things, if we're going to be honest. I mean, if, we, if I did a survey, which we will never do, <laughs> asking you what kind of things you wish church were, everybody would give me different answers. But we have to remember why we're together in the first place. If we think of the church primarily as an event and an event that, that we can choose to attend for our own reasons or stay home for our own reasons, right? If we only think of the church as an event that we go to, then we do not understand the purpose of the church at all. That's not what this is. Another way to say that is the church is not just a place for me to come and consume content. If that's all the church is to you, if you're just here for an hour a week to get a little content in your life, right? To get a little encouragement, to get a little spiritual food for the, you know, chicken soup for the soul, right? If that's what this is, then, then you're, you're missing the point. And the truth is, if that's all this is, is content, then you'll eventually move on looking for better content. And there's plenty of better content to go around, right? You can find way better preachers than me online without really trying that hard. But what you can't get online is connection. You won't get shepherding. You won't be known by anyone. And you're going to miss out on most of the blessings that God actually promises only for His church. You see, God's vision for this church has nothing to do with 
better content or programs or any of our personal preferences and checklists of what we wish the church would be. And I want to be honest with you that that stuff that we think of is almost entirely influenced by megachurch marketing culture, not the Word of God. That's where that's coming from. That's where that impulse is coming from. It's our culture. But what do we need to have a healthy church? What do we need to have a good church? What do we need to have a biblical church according to the Word? Now, to answer that question, we could come up with a, a very biblical list of things, <clears throat> all of which are good and right. You may come up with things like expository preaching, good doctrine, discipleship, sacraments, prayer, good leadership, probably many other good possible answers that you could put on the list of what makes a church good. But you understand the most basic answer is very simple. To have a healthy church, you need a group of people who are committed to Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, let me add that, but Jesus, and, and are committed to one another. Those are the two things. Right? So a group of people who are committed to the Jesus of the Bible and they're committed to one another. In other words, what's on the sign in the back? One in Christ. Now, to be clear, not unity without Christ, because that doesn't work. Neither does Christ without unity. You need both. You need Jesus... And you need the people that Jesus puts in your life through the church. The church is only a special community because of the presence of Jesus. Okay? Do we understand that? The church is only a special community because of the presence of Jesus. But Jesus only promises to be present with His people. You cannot have Jesus without the church. That if, I, if you only hear one sentence this morning, the summary of the text is that. You cannot have Jesus without the church. God does not bless solo Christians who refuse to gather with His people. He never has, and He never will. The promises and blessings of Scripture are always plural. There is no Christianity without Christ, but there is no Christianity without the church. You cannot do Christianity without God's people. Listening to sermons online, cranking up your worship playlist on Spotify, talking to God by yourself, those are all good things. You should do them. But in no way are those things a replacement for being an active part of God's local church community. I saw this yesterday, and I thought it was a great, a great line. 
uh, said, watching church online is like watching a fireplace on your TV. It's pretty, but you won't feel any of the warmth. That's pretty good. Now, I, I, know, I know that there is no perfect church. There are no perfect Christians. We all get this wrong. But I want you to understand God's vision for His church is perfect. There are no perfect expressions of church. You will never find it, right? Was it, was it Chuck Colson said, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. <laughs> There is no perfect church. None of us are going to get this unity, community, faith thing right. We're just not. But God's vision for His church is perfect and it is clear. God expects us to meet together regularly. And it's a command. Hebrews 10, 25. Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as the day approaches. Right? Now... I know that making time to be here regularly in person, that's a sacrifice. Life stages, jobs, I understand all of this. It's especially difficult when you have young children. I get it. We've been there. But this is literally the most important thing that Christians do. This. This is the most important thing we do. Worshiping Jesus with each other, this is where the means of grace come to us most clearly. It's also the most important thing that our kids can see us doing. And not just your kids, but other people's kids need to see the same faces, young and old, the same people worshiping Jesus together that they know that this, this group of people cares about the same things. And there's a very important reason why God's plan for the church looks like this. What is the church? It's a group of sinful people who are committed to loving one another. Which means this is how we live out the gospel that we claim to believe. This, this is how we do it. It's also how the world can see and know that God really has the power to change people's lives. You understand that there is a limited way that that could ever happen if you're out there trying to be a solo Christian, right? What did Jesus say to His disciples in John 13? By this all people will, will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. That is completely impossible to display if we're separate. We have to be together. How will they know that you are my disciples? Not because you wear a cross around your neck. Not because you post Bible verses on social media. Not because you listen to Christian music alone in your car on the drive to work. They will know that we belong to Jesus when we belong to His church and when that church together has a reputation for love.
That is God's plan. That is God's vision for His church. There is no plan B. And so that's my encouragement to us. Let's be together. Let's be in church. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, I just want to simply pray that this would be uh, an encouragement and not a, not a burden. Um, it's so much more than an obligation. It's not just that we have to do it. It's we get to do it. If the church is really what you want it to be, then it will be a place of refreshment and encouragement and renewal and transformation and unity. And we need it. We need it more than we need our own blood families, according to the Bible. And so I pray that you would wake us up in our hearts and, and, and make this something that we work towards for your glory and because we love you and because we love one another.